Welcome back to the Borough Shire podcast. We are filming live here in Orlando, Florida. I'm Brandon Vaught, one of the co-hosts, and joining me is my best friend, Father Blake Britton. Father Blake, always good to be with you. Good to see you as well, man. Today, we are going to discuss one of our mutually favorite topics, and that is the Liturgy of the Hours. We're going to talk about how to pray the Liturgy of the Hours and why to do it. Um, This has been, I think for both of us, a life-changing discipline to Mm -hmm. pray these prayers each day. Before we get into the nitty-gritty of how to do it and why to do it, let's maybe start off with just a basic overview of what this whole thing is. So first, a a few terms that we're going to talk about a lot here. Liturgy of the hours, that's kind of the the main term. And you got to be super careful when you're texting with your friends like Father Blake and I, because uh, sometimes L-O-T-H will autocorrect to L-O-T-R, which is Lord of the Rings. And these are two (laughs) totally different, but probably related things. So this is L-O-T-H. Both just as acceptable for Catholic to text. <laughs> both, <laughs> both great forms of spiritual reading, either the Liturgy yes. of the Hours or Lord of the Rings. But we're talking about Liturgy of the Hours, also known as the Divine Office. And it gets a little confusing because one of the parts of the Liturgy of the Hours is called the Office. Um, right. So the terms are a bit confusing. But Liturgy of the Hours, Divine Office, it's basically a series of of prayers, of an ordered pattern series of prayers that you pray multiple times a day. And these are prayed by Catholics all over the world. They're contained in uh, a book or a series of books called the Breviary. I'm holding up mine right here. Let me see if I can get on the camera. You'll recognize the Breviary usually. It often looks like a Bible because it'll have golden gilded pages, but it'll have all these ribbons. That's kind of like the defining mark of, of a Breviary. And we'll get into those here in a second. But now that we got our terms down, Liturgy of the Hours, aka the Divine Office, those prayers are found in a book or a series of books called the Breviary. Father Blake, what is the Liturgy of the Hours? Give us a little more depth into it. Yeah. So we read in the Old Testament how it says, from the rising of the sun to its setting, may the name of the Lord be praised. And of course, the Jewish people, and they also get this from the Psalms when it says, pray seven times a day, The Jewish people would integrate specifically the Psalms, what they call the psalmody. So you know how we have like a melody, that means singing a certain kind of tune. Well, you also have something called the psalmody, which is saying a particular set of Psalms. Well, the Jewish people started praying psalmodies, a particular set of Psalms, throughout the entire day on a regular basis. And so the Catholic Church, taking that ancient and beautiful Jewish practice, continue in obedience this mandate from the Lord to pray from the rising of the sun to its setting. So technically, the Liturgy of the Hours is the second highest form of liturgy in the life of the church. So you have the Holy Mass, the sacrifice of the Holy Mass. That is the top of the top. That is, as we will discuss ad nauseum in later uh, podcasts, that is the source and summit of the life of Mother Church. However, right after that, you have the Liturgy of the Hours, you have this saying of the Psalms that is shared universally throughout the church, specifically by those who are ordained or consecrated persons. So for myself as a priest, I'm bound by canon law to pray the Liturgy of the Hours. Those who are consecrated monks or nuns or religious sisters and brothers are also bound to say the Liturgy of the Hours. And what's really cool is that they're being said constantly all around the world. So right now in China, or right now in India, or right now in Africa, all around the world, people are saying the Liturgy of the Hours. And you say them in different times of the day. So you have a morning set, you have a mid-afternoon set, you have an evening set, and then a nighttime set that you say. Now, laity are also encouraged to pray this, and we'll speak more about that when we talk about the Second Vatican Council later on in this podcast. But it's a way for us to really tap into, it's a way for us to really get engaged with the constant prayer of Mother Church throughout the world. And so the constant prayer of Mother Church primarily is the sacrifice of the Mass, which is also happening constantly around planet Earth. But then secondarily, flowing out of this adoration of Christ in the Holy Eucharist and the sacrifice of the Holy Mass is this prayer of the Psalms, these psalmonies, these constant recitations of these texts from the Old Testament. This psalmody, by the way, these collection of prayers, were the bread and butter of the church fathers, of the medieval saints. You read people like Bonaventure or Bernard of Claveau, their love for the psalmody is profound. And it continues to be later on, 
especially during the post-Tridentine saints, so Charles Borromeo, Philip Neri, leading all the way up to contemporary time period with the reform of the Liturgy of the Hours, the Roman briefery that took place after Vatican II. St. John Paul II was infamous for delaying and being late to activities because he would stop to pray his briefery. So if he was on his way to go visit a hospital, for example, in Africa, and on the way it passed the, the clock hit 3 p.m., he would say, I can't go see them right now. We have to stop and pray the Liturgy of the Hours. And he would stop and he would pray the Liturgy of the Hours. He was faithful to that commitment. So very much as part of the essential character as well of those who are consecrated or ordained to continue the praise and adoration of Christ. Well, just to give people a little flavor for what the Liturgy of the Hours is like while you're praying it. So typically, uh, it contains a mixture of short prayers, of excerpts from the Psalms. Usually, you'll pray anywhere from one to three short excerpts, maybe composing one or two Psalms as a whole. There's almost always a short scripture reading, so you get a little bit Mm of scripture, sometimes from the Old Testament, sometimes from a New Testament epistle. Um, you always pray these canticles, which either come from the mouth of our Blessed Mother or um, the Canticle of Zechariah. And then it usually closes with intercessions where you're praying for others around the church, praying for yourself, praying for the Holy Father's intentions. And then it always includes uh, in our Father as well. So mm-hmm. it's kind of, to me, one of the best single comprehensive types of prayer because you get a little sampling of everything. You know, I know when you and I were um, having some conversations about my own prayer life and I was kind of lamenting the fact that I was very jumpity. I would jump from, you know, maybe doing Lexio Divina for a few weeks to I was on a, a plan to read the Bible through the whole year and I did that for six or seven months. And then, you know, I was trying to pray the Psalms or maybe try to do contemplative prayer and jumping from form to form to form and not Mm -hmm. really landing on anything that that was really drawing me in. And then that's when you recommended to me the Liturgy of the Hours. And Mm -hmm. for some of the reasons we're going to discuss here in a bit about why it's a premier form of prayer, but for this one in particular, that it kind of brings all of those types of prayer together into one form. It's kind of like a buffet of, of styles of prayer, if you will. Yeah. And the beauty of it is that it's already structured. So there's a lot of people in their spiritual life who ask, and I get this all the time as a priest, Father, what can I do to deepen my spiritual life? Well, the premier thing that we can do to, de- to deepen our spiritual life is to pray with the church. So not to, to capitalize individual prayer as much as joining in the great chorus of song, if you will, that's chanted, that's sung, that's proclaimed to the Heavenly Father by the Bride of Christ, Mother Church, throughout history. And one of the ways that that is done, again, outside of the Holy Mass, which is the greatest, is the Liturgy of the Hours. This is a way that we can tap into, in a very structured, defined, beautiful way, the lifeblood of Mother Church and her constant praise of Christ. Talk about what we mean when we call this the Liturgy of the Hours. You mentioned Mm -hmm. earlier that it's the second most important liturgy, the first being Mm -hmm. the sacrifice of the Mass. Because I think for most people, when they think liturgy, that's just synonymous with the Mass. Like, what what other type of liturgy do you mean? So what do we mean when we say liturgy of the hours? Yeah, so the word liturgy, again, another topic of another podcast would be just what is the liturgy as a whole? What does that mean? So when I say liturgy, I don't don't mean just a particular set of rubrics or a particular set of practices or, or of functions. Right? So when I say the word liturgy, I, I, don't, I don't mean just the Mass. Liturgy in the end is the constant praise and worship that's being given to the Father through the Son by the grace of the Holy Spirit. So this unity, this, this great symphony of love and adoration that's being exchanged between the Trinity constantly, and that also has been shared with us by merit of Christ being fully human and fully divine. So this is why Christ, he says, I must ascend to the Father in order to send you the Spirit. When he ascends, when his flesh enters that perfect communion with the Heavenly Father and the Blessed Trinity, now our flesh, by merit of Christ's flesh, has the capacity to share in the divine life. And this, of course, becomes the wellspring of the sacraments, specifically Eucharist and baptism. So when I say liturgy, what I mean is to share in that Trinitarian, to share in that great divine symphony of love that's constantly happening between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and is shared by grace with Mother Church. And there are many ways by which to share in that divine liturgy, the premier of which is the Mass, and now also is the Liturgy of the Hours. 
So when I say liturgy of the hours, or when the church rather says liturgy of the hours, what they mean is the way in which we hourly tap into that divine liturgy. So this, this is a way that throughout our day, in the morning, the midday, afternoon, and at nighttime, these are ways that we could tap into just in a very temporal, concrete way. We can tap into the beauty of the constant praise that's being offered by God. And it's just an amazing way for us to be to, to share in that. And so, as I said, there's a morning time, there's a mid-afternoon time, um, which is composed of three different kinds of prayers. So you have um, terse, sext, and non. So pretty much this is like a mid-morning um, a midday and a mid-afternoon prayer. The mid-afternoon one typically takes place at 3 p.m. to commemorate the death of Christ. And then you have your evening prayer, which happens anytime after 4 p.m., sort of like our vigil masses can happen after 4 p.m. And then finally you have a night prayer, which is what you say before you go to bed. So all these prayers together make what is called the liturgy of the hours. They sanctify our entire day and make all of our day revolve around praising Christ. Now, in centuries past, the Liturgy of the Hours was kind of in the domain of priests and mm -hmm. religious. It was presumed really that lay people wouldn't go that far. We talked about this in our episode on the call to holiness, that for a long period of the church's history, unfortunately, lay people just weren't urged to pursue the depths of sanctity the way that consecrated religious and, and priests were. Um, but then something shifted in a major way at Vatican II. And, and the Second mm. Vatican Council and its document on the liturgy specifically commends the Liturgy of the Hours to all people. Talk a little bit about that. Yes, this is one of the landmark movements of the Second Vatican Council that I think is very under-highlighted. So unfortunately, Vatican II has been sort of weighed down by a lot of these um, unnecessary, untrue, and ill-placed sentiments from either this sort of extreme liberal understanding of the council or this extreme conservative reaction of that council. Again, another topic that we can discuss at a later time. But because of that, a lot of the amazing things that Vatican II gave us is underemphasized or completely unrealized. And I would say that this is one of them. So if you read the document on the Sacred Liturgy, Chapter 4, which is on the Divine Office, a.k.a. the Liturgy of the Hours, Paragraph 100, it specifically says the following. Pastors of souls should see to it that the chief hours, meaning of the Liturgy of the Hours, so we have their lauds, which is morning prayer, and vespers, which would be evening prayer, are celebrated in common in the church on Sundays, and the more solemn feast. And the laity too are encouraged to recite the divine office either with the priest or among themselves or even individually. So what you have here is the Second Vatican Council which is convened by the grace of the Holy Spirit. So this is the Lord himself speaking through the council, inviting laity to make this form of prayer their preferred form of personal prayer that our personal prayer life should revolve from the font of the Eucharist and flow out of that into the wellspring of the Liturgy of the Hours. And then around that, of course, you can build particular devotions, such as the Rosary, the Divine Mercy Chapel, all these amazing devotions. But those are the two main ways that the Mother Church prays, is by the Mass and the Liturgy of the Hours. And so in this document, Vatican II is explicitly encouraging the laity to make the Liturgy of the Hours part of their daily prayer life. That excerpt that you just read from Sacrosanctum Concilium, the document from Vatican II on the liturgy, calls to mind for me a recent, much-discussed book, The Benedict Option by Rod Dreher. And Rod, mm. unfortunately, yeah. was a Catholic. He left and became Eastern Orthodox, but they have similar liturgical practices and prayers. Mm -hmm. And in this new Orthodox church that Rod is a part of, they are uber committed to the liturgy of the hours or their version of it. And the, the discipline is such that it's expected that all of the parishioners of his parish come to the church on Saturday evening to pray Vespers, evening prayer, as a community. And the discipline is expected so much that basically if you don't come on Saturday night, you're kind of not welcome or not expected to come for the liturgy on Sunday. It's interconnected right. with the sacrifice of the Mass. And I couldn't yeah. help but read that and think, man, I wish I wish more parishes would would make that demand of us, would, would take prayer that seriously, particularly yes. communal prayer, particularly the Liturgy of the Hours in, in a communal prayer, 
and say, look, this is this is part of what we do. Like to be a member of this yeah. parish means to pray together in a communal way. Well, you see that that's exactly what Vatican II is talking about. The Second Vatican Council is very clear here. Patris of souls should see to it. That's not like it would be nice if they did. <laughs> this this is a pastoral responsibility to make sure that the chief hours are prayed on those, especially really daily would be great, but especially during those great solemn feasts, Sunday, which is always a solemn feast, and of course, feast, for example, of St. Joseph, Solemnity of the Church, the Annunciation, Solemnity of the Church, um, the feast day of the of Mother of God, uh, that's a Solemnity of the Church. So on these days when there would be high feast, that 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 would always be accompanied by Vespers, by the Liturgy of the Hours. So really the way that it would look like practically, and we do this here at our parish, thank God, at St. Mary, is that if there's a major feast the evening before, we will host chanted Vespers. So we have our music director, and we also have our organist come, and then our choir always does an amazing job, and they chant back and forth these beautiful tones, and the laity share in that, and usually myself or Father Ivan will preside, and we enter in with incense. It's just, it's just a beautiful, beautiful encounter of prayer, and the people here love it. I mean, once they were exposed to it, they're like, can we do this all the time? And so um, and so we try to do that frequently. So anytime that we have a parish event, for example, during the Lenten season when we, when we have parish missions, our parish mission always begins with chanted solemn vespers. And then from Vespers, we go into the mission. So this is a way that we tie our mission into the universal prayer of the church. So this mission is not just St. Mary Catholic Church and school mission. Rather, this mission is part of the wider community of Mother Church's desire to sanctify her people. I think we should, we should clarify, too, that when we're talking about integrating Liturgy of the Hours into a parish or adding it on as a commitment or a discipline, we're not talking about like just adding on extra burdens to people that already feel right, like right. I'm overcommitted, that this is a gift from the church that will yeah. improve your spiritual life in dramatic ways. You know, like when, when yeah. I first discovered it, when you first helped guide me through it, I, I remember feeling almost a little bit cheated that, mm. you know, my first 10 years as a Catholic, nobody had ever commended the Liturgy of the Hours to me, encouraged me to pray it, suggested it for whatever reason, maybe they thought it was only in the domain of priests, or maybe they thought it wasn't a great form of prayer. Maybe they thought it requires too much of you because you're praying at set hours multiple times during the day. But as soon as I got into it, I thought, gosh, what a gift I've been given and one that I've been missing. And I wish more people would find out about this. So that's part of the reason why we're doing this episode as well. Yeah, the Holy Spirit knows what he's doing. He knows his people. And he knows what's best for them. And so when he asks for something to be done, especially through an ecumenical council, we should trust that that he really knows what he's doing, <laughs> you know? And so when he when the Holy Spirit speaks through this council and encourages the laity to pray and to share in this lifeblood of the church, that's something that he knows will help enrich the overall spiritual lives of the faithful. And I've seen this in your family, of course, Brandon, but I've also seen in other families as well. Um, who have integrated the Liturgy of the Hours into their daily lives, and now their children are praying it, and now their wives are praying with them, or their husbands are praying it with them. Now even sometimes their neighbors will come over, and they'll join them for the Liturgy of the Hours. They're creating small communities that are now tapping into the universal prayer of Mother Church. It's so profound, and this is one of the great visions of the Second Vatican Council, to have these, I would dare say, almost monastic kind of experiences, taking place in the average Catholic home, that we're forming amidst the nucleus, which is the domestic church, the family, we're forming this mystical sense of prayer and unity with the universal church. And so it is my hope as a priest, and you know that I'm a huge promoter of the Liturgy of the Hours of the Divine Office, um, and everyone that asks me about their prayer life, that's the first thing I suggest to them, and I've never had anyone regret it. They all say, Father, this is amazing. One of my great missions as a priest, one of my personal sort of um, soapboxes, if you will, is to get people praying the Liturgy of the Hours on a regular basis. It will transform your spiritual life. There's no other way to put it. All right. Well, for the rest of this discussion, um, I'd like to do a few things with you, Father Blake. So one is I'd sure. like to talk a little bit about our, our own personal experiences of how we first got into praying the Liturgy of the Hours, how we discovered it <laughs> and what it was like. Second, I'd like to look yeah. at some of the major objections that you'll 
encounter to the Liturgy of the Hours. And I don't just mean from the outside. I mean, when you first start praying the Liturgy of the Hours, you're going to run into some of these stumbling blocks. And so I want us to talk through them a little bit. And then okay. finally, we'll close with a bunch of practical tips on how to get into it. How, you know, how do you start praying it? Where should you start? Uh, what resources will help you get better at it? Um, so let's maybe follow that that rubric. So first of all, uh, let's let's start with you first. So when did you first start praying the Liturgy of the Hours? What was your experience like? Wonderful. So like many Catholics, I was not introduced to the Liturgy of the Hours for most of my life. Um, so I was not something that I was raised with, unfortunately, um, and not even in my teenage and high school years. I became acquainted with it, meaning I knew of its existence when I was a high schooler because I started watching EWTN and stuff like that, you know. Um, so I learned about it, but I really didn't pray it. I didn't start until I entered seminary. And before I entered seminary, there was a group of Franciscan friars who I had befriended. They were local here in the Diocese of Orlando at San Pedro Center, a wonderful group of men. And they knew I was going to seminary, so they bought me a very nice four-volume set of the Liturgy of the Hours, the same exact set that you have, actually, Brandon. And they told me, they said, I, I know that you don't know what this is right now. They said, but this will be the basis of your prayer life. And one of them in particular looked at me and he said, promise me that when you become a priest, I will see these pages are already worn. And it was beautiful because on the day of my ordination, some of those Franciscans were there and I was able to share with them the fact that here's my breviary and the pages were very worn because I had not gone a day in 10 years without praying it. This is probably, so, probably a good time for me to interject and tell my little story about my breviary and the worn pages. <laughs> that one time Father Blake came over and we were praying Liturgy of the Hours together and my book looked, not, not this volume, again, there's four volumes, so it's one of the other three volumes. The pages were all wrinkled, the cover was like all bent, and man, it looked like I'd been praying for 30 years on this book. Uh, but then I explained to him what actually happened was Gilbert, our little toddler, had taken my breviary and dunked it in the toilet. Uh, so <laughs> after it had dried off, it looked it looked pretty well worn. It looked like I was a pretty serious devotee of the Liturgy of the Hours. <laughs> I mean, some priests would come by and envy that breviary. You know, oh, man, I this layman is just praying this unbelievably. <laughs> so. Uh, so yeah, so mine were worn not through the waters of a toilet bowl, but mine were worn through years and years of <laughs> devoted prayer. But um, really, so I got introduced to it in the seminary. And I'll be honest with you, it was a pain. It really was a pain. And it will probably be for some of our listeners and viewers as well when they first start, start trying to pray it. Because the ribbons are confusing. You're trying to figure out when do I say what? How do I say what? And then, of course, you get feast days, and that's even more. You're like, oh, my goodness. So it's one of those things, like we mentioned in our Catholic Intellectual podcast, it's one of those things that we have to be willing to suffer a little bit, to be devoted to, to have patience with in order to learn it. But once you learn it, it's streamlined. So I was fortunate enough to learn it within the context of a community, which was the seminary community. My freshman year in seminary, so I entered seminary right at the age of 18, um, and so I was very young, and so I went through a nine-year formation process. My freshman year, I prayed it sort of spottily. But then my sophomore year in seminary for Lent, my Lenten promise was that I was going to start praying all the hours, the the hours. There were seven hours, but as diocesan priests were asked to pray five of them on a regular basis, so I said, I will pray these five from this point forward, and I will never miss a single one again, starting my sophomore year of seminary. And I can honestly say now that I have since then not missed a single day of those hours. Um, and it has just become one of the most essential aspects of my spiritual life outside of the celebration of the Holy Mass. And so even now as a priest, the first thing that I think about when I wake up in the morning is, A, when am I celebrating Mass and during my holy hour? B, when am I praying to the liturgy of the hours? Those are the two hinges around which my spiritual life revolves. And if I don't have those, well then, you know, how can I possibly be a good and holy priest? So that was my own experience with the hours. Um, for me, I just couldn't imagine not not having them. They, they're part of my life. They're an integral part of my life. Um, so that's for me. Now, what about you, Brandon? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I've already shared a little bit about how I got into it. It was through our friendship that I first discovered them and through your great encouragement that I've been devoted to it. I think I first started dabbling with it a couple years ago, but then it's been about six months now that I've been as resolute as you, that I'm going to pray every hour of every day, no matter if I'm traveling, no matter if I'm sick. And I think what's really stuck out to me is, yeah, you go through that first maybe month or two period of 
confusion and questioning whether this is really having a positive impact on my spiritual life. Maybe I should try other forms of prayer, all those types of things. We're going to talk about some of those objections here in a moment. But I think what's really stuck out to me is the last thing you mentioned, that it's become the ordering principle of my day. Like before that, the ordering principles of my day were based around the time of mass. So our family goes to daily mass. So, okay, that's set in stone. So I know I kind of have to arrange things around that. And then uh, to be brutally honest, around food, like breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Those are my organizing principles. Those Mm -hmm. come first and kind of everything fits around those three meals. But what the Liturgy Hours forced me to do is to say, no, 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 It it can't be food. It can't be these other temporal things around which your day revolves, like the mass, obviously, yes. But then now you have these anchors at each of the major hours of the day where you say, I am going to be praying at those times. And just to be clear to everybody, um, the the uh, five major hours we've been talking about, you pray them in general periods of time, like morning prayer could be prayed anytime in the morning. So we're not right. saying it's like a monastic type of life where at nine o'clock when the bell rings, you have to pray the prayer at that exact right, moment. Right. Um, so there's some flexibility, but the the overall thing I'm trying to emphasize is that now you have these organizing principles that are non-negotiable. I am going to be praying at these hours of the day and everything else has to fit around it. If I'm if I'm going on you know a road trip, if I'm going to visit a friend, okay, I need to figure out, am I going to pray before? Am I going to pray after? Do I need to bring my breviary with me or will I be able to have it on the way back? That that principle has radically transformed my life because you can't help but be be changed in having prayer be the fulcrum around which your day revolves. There's just a natural change that takes place in your soul when prayer becomes the driving principle around which everything else revolves. Yeah, yeah, be, beyond a shadow of a doubt. Because then what's central, of course, is Christ. <laughs> so when prayer, specifically the prayer of the church, and to emphasize again, this is this is a higher, objectively, a higher level than individual personal prayer, because it is the prayer of the church. It's the prayer that Christ has given us through Mother Church. This is a way that our subjectivity, our individual prayer, is inserted into a higher domain of prayer by sharing in the universal adoration of Christ through his mystical body. And so when our lives revolve around this form of prayer, then what it's revolving around is Jesus Christ himself. Lord, all the hours of my life are yours all of them, before my meals, before my friendships, before my profession, before my job, everything is yours, Christ Jesus. And this is a way that I'm consecrating my entire day to you and to your glory. All right, well, let's turn now to some of the objections. And these objections are not just uh, abstract. These are personal objections that I've had. I have know I had these mm. objections internally when I first started praying the Liturgy of the Hours, and then I know I've voiced them to you. So you and I have talked about them a lot. And mm-hmm. again, I'm, I think they're pretty typical of, of beginners first getting into the Liturgy of the Hours. So first of all, the Divine Office is too much rote prayer. Um, you'll hear yeah. this from a lot of people, especially those who aren't uh, as familiar with formal style prayers. You know, I was mm-hmm. in this boat myself as a convert from evangelicalism, and evangelicalism, like, you know, it's all about you and Jesus. It's all about personal prayer, personal relationship with Jesus. Any type of scripted prayers or scripted, formulaic, ordered ways of praying was off-putting. It seemed dry and empty and not as not as heartwarming as just me talking and listening to the Lord personally. So what what would you say to somebody who said, you know, it's too scripted, it's too rote? Yeah. So for the the purpose of routine in the life of the church is always unity. Unity. So it's not uniformity in the sense of trying to make it stale or stagnant, but rather it's unity to make it vibrant and to make it life-giving. And so the first way that I would rebuttal that particular accusation is that there must be forms of rote, routine prayer universally established by Mother Church through the grace of the Spirit in order to ensure a principle of unity that every single Christian on planet Earth, every single Catholic, I should say, every single Catholic on planet Earth has the ability to say the same exact words and to be united through language, through thought, and through deed in the Holy Mass and in the Liturgy of the Hours. So there's number one, is that this is a principle of unity. Number two would be that, of course, if we're going to be a Christian, that means to be like Christ, 
That means to live the Christ, that actually means to live in the very life of Christ, not even just to be like him, but to actually be in him, to share in his life. The Liturgy of the Hours, as I said, came from the Jewish people, that they prayed on a regular basis these different liturgies, including Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is a devout Jew. He loved the psalmodies. And do not doubt that he prayed them on a regular basis. This is the way that he also joined and imbibed the love of his people, the chosen people of Israel, to glorify Yahweh, to glorify the Heavenly Father. So in praying the liturgy of the hours, you're also sharing in a very explicit prayer that Christ himself shared in. And then finally, there is something to be said about routine developing within the heart discipline. So prayer is not a sporadic reality. Prayer is like a well-honed sword. It pierces deeply. It's, it's oriented towards a someone. And so there is a tendency sometimes, unfortunately, for our prayer life to be sporadic, and that's why it can never really go deep. If you're trying to drill a hole, and you just drill a little bit of a hole here, and then a little bit of a hole there, a little bit, well, then you're going to have just a bunch of potholes all over the place. But if you're trying to drill a well, like to actually find water, what you have to do is get a drill bit and be in a consecrated space and a consecrated honed focus for a consecrated amount of time. And from there, you're able to actually reach the wellspring. You're actually able to dive deeply. And so there is something quite valuable to routine prayer, especially routine prayer that's discerned by the church and sharing in that so that like a well-honed blade, our prayer lights can really pierce deeply into mysticism. I found that a lot of my Catholic friends who I would identify as as like ready to leap into the liturgy of the hours. They're they're well formed. They have a past history of, of the deep prayer life. You know, they're they're ready to take this on. Um, they they would make this complaint and not realize that the same objection could apply to the mass itself mm -hmm. and a prayer like the rosary, where you're literally right. praying the same prayer over and over. But in both of those other cases, they love the familiarity and order of the Mass. They love the repetition of the rosary and the benefits that flow from it. I think all yeah. those same things apply to the liturgy of the hours. Um, and, in that, and in that case, honestly, the liturgy of the hours is much less repetitious because right. there are four volumes with four different you know, arrangements and sets of psalms and readings and prayers. So it's a little more uh, dynamic, if you will. And I don't mean dynamic in the theological sense, more, obviously. More the variety, mass is, yeah. But there's more variety um, in the Lords of the Hours than you would have in the Rosary or something like that. And something else I've learned only through experience is that although the Liturgy of the Hours prescribes the times of day when you're supposed to pray these various types of prayers, it does not prescribe how long you take to pray them. And so yep. because of that, you can stop at any point and engage in contemplative prayer. If you just read the scripture reading, take some time to do Lexio Divina and and discuss it with the Lord personally. So there's nothing mm. there's nothing contradictory between formal rote prayer and personal prayer. You can weave both of them seamlessly together. And as a matter of fact, what you'll see is that that rote prayer of the church, meaning that routine, deeply contemplated prayer that's developed over 2,000 years, this is 2,000 years worth of wisdom and prayer life put into a single kind of text, that will then start informing your subjective prayer experience. So what you, I think what you're going to start realizing is that the way you pray is more mature and the way you pray is a little bit more focused. At least that's what it did for me. So as whereas before I would sort of talk to Jesus from my heart, and there was nothing wrong with that. It was very authentic and very true. When I started praying Liturgy of the Hours, when I started doing the Office of Readings, which is a part of the Liturgy of the Hours that goes through readings of Scripture as well as readings of the ancient church fathers, when I started reading these different texts and praying with them, I noticed that my spiritual language and my spiritual vocabulary, my spiritual intelligence, if you will, and again, intelligence is not smartness. I mean, this ability to really understand what's happening in my spiritual life, it increased drastically. And now even the way that I speak to Christ has deepened because it's been formed not by my ego, but it's been formed by Mother Church and by her adoration of Christ. All right, let's move to a second objection. And I think this one is almost universal when people start praying the Liturgy of the Hours. The main core of the Liturgy of the Hours, as we've been discussing, is the psalmody, the psalms. You're praying large chunks of the psalms. And if you've read any of the psalms, 
you know that they cover the full gamut of human emotion and human response to God. There's there's anger, there's praise, there's excitement, there's begging, there's longing, there's there's every human experience on display, right? So mm-hmm. on any given day, when you're praying the liturgy of the hours, you might open your book and the prescribed prayers for the day are just totally out of sync with what you're experiencing like you're you're begging god to free you from your enemies that have cornered you down and have pinned you and when's god going to show up and a lot of people find that and read it and say it just doesn't connect with me i'm not getting anything out of this i can't relate to it what do you say to that so on two levels first and foremost remember it's the prayer of the church and the reality of it is all of us are trying to conquer the enemy of sin so the Psalms are always relatable to us on the larger level of the Christian experience. So although maybe I have a beautiful life and my life really isn't having any difficulties or struggles right now, but yet the psalmody is saying, I walk amidst the valley of death and I struggle for my enemies surround me like dogs that are walking about. And you're thinking, oh, actually, like I have a good job and like a really great wife and awesome kids. Like I'm fine. Well, yeah, maybe maybe in that regards. But are we fine insofar as our struggle with sin? Are we fine insofar as Mother Church and where she suffers throughout the world? Are we fine where our brothers and sisters in Africa are starving for food? Where our brothers and sisters in China are being persecuted and killed for their Catholic faith? I'm part of that too. It's not about a personal relationship with Jesus only, but rather I've been integrated through my baptism into a wider community, into a body the body of Christ, and that body is experiencing multiple realities simultaneously, which means that I too am experiencing them. When my brother or sister in Africa starves, I starve. When my brother or sister in China is persecuted and killed for the Catholic faith, so am I. Jesus does this as well. Whatever you do to the least of my people, that you do unto me. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? So when you're praying these Psalms, even though they may not be immediately relatable insofar as your direct personal life, they most certainly are relatable insofar as you petitioning on behalf of the church universal to the Heavenly Father, and you you being the voice of the broken, you being the voice of the persecuted, and in some of the Psalms, you being the voice of the victorious, of the joyful, of the upright, of the righteous. But then secondly, never allow the enemy to tempt you to stop praying because you do not feel at that moment it is immediately beneficial. So this is one of the main tactics of the enemy that I just feel like this prayer is a waste of time. I mean, you know, even sometimes we, we feel that way at mass. Like I'm going to mass and I really don't get anything out of the homily. The music is blah, you know, so I go to it because I have to receive communion. But really, it's, it's a waste of time. Is it? Is it really? I mean, the, the enemy is very good at lying to us and making us believe that these beautiful, substantial, enriching realities are actually non-beneficial at all. But we know that anywhere that Christ is, is beneficial. That just sitting in the presence of the Blessed Sacrament, even if we don't do anything, is beneficial because Christ in the Eucharist is forming us. Praying the liturgy of the hours, even if we don't immediately feel connected to it or we feel something coming out of it, that doesn't mean that it's a waste of time. Because in the end, religiosity, holiness is not a sentiment, but it's an activity. It's something that's being formed in us by Christ. And so our faithfulness day in and day out to, to these liturgy of the hours, even when we're not personally feeling fed by them, it doesn't mean that we aren't actually being fed by them, even if our sentimentality doesn't match with that. Super helpful. And I'd add to your great explanation of praying these prayers in community with Catholics all over the world. So even though I might not be feeling this sentiment, others are. And by praying it, I'm expressing solidarity with them. I'm softening my heart to their mm-hmm. trials and tribulations. In addition to that, one other tip I received, I can't remember whether I got this from you or from one of the books I've been reading, that if you approach the Psalms especially, but the entire Liturgy of the Hours, but the Psalms especially, from the perspective of Christ, that it's Christ praying these prayers of lament. It's Christ on the cross lamenting his enemies, cornering him, and, you know, all this stuff, that now you're uniting your prayer to the prayer of Christ to the Father. It's not just me and Jesus. I'm participating in the whole Trinitarian dynamic of of prayer and love. Yes. And that's also the theology for the Holy Mass. As we know, Liturgy of the Hours flows from the Holy Mass. But the Mass is not primarily for the people or of the people. The Mass primarily is Christ's saving action to the Father 
of which, thank God, we are mercifully incorporated. And, it's, and then through communion, we're allowed to share the benefits of that reconciliation that Christ has given to the Father. But in the end, the primary thing that's happening in the Mass is not my action as an individual, but it's Christ's action in which he's incorporating me through the work of the priest um, and through the sacrifice itself. All right. So if you have some other objections or challenges as you get started, please send them to us. Leave them in the comments, and we'd love to help you out to to get momentum and get going on these prayers. But I thought maybe for the last several minutes we have here, Father Blake, let's go through some really practical tips. Some of these things are, are things you've shared with me. Some of them I've picked up from others online and from books. Um, but I, I have a handful of them. So I'll go through them and we'll get your comments here along the way. So first okay. of all, I, I highly recommend reading a good book about the liturgy of the hour. So this podcast is a good precursor. I think we've given you, you know, some basic background information on what it is, why you should do it, that kind of stuff. But you really need to understand how each of the hours works, what to expect, all that kind of stuff. And there's a bunch of good books out there. I've I've sampled many of them, but the two that I found especially helpful for lay people are first of all a book by Daria Saki. It's called The Everyday Catholic's Guide to the Liturgy of the Hours. And then second, this one's new book. It just came out a month or so ago by Father Timothy Gallagher, one of the great yeah. spiritual writers in America. And it's titled A Layman's Guide to the Liturgy of the Hours, How the Prayers of the Church Can Change Your Life. And and both of those books approach the topic from similar angles. So pick which one you want. Uh, we'll have links to them below. But I highly, highly recommend before going out and getting the whole series of breveries and, and committing, I'm going to tomorrow, I'm going to start diving right in. Give yourself a little buffer and learn a little bit more about the rhythm and the background before diving in. You, th you think that's good advice? Very much so. Uh, Father Gallagher in particular is just one of the masters of just Ignatian spirituality in general, and I've had the privilege of meeting and speaking with him several times, a very holy, holy priest, um, and just really, he's able to make, he's able to make these things accessible to someone who may not be as um, entrenched in theology as, and as entrenched in the tradition, he makes it very understandable. So um, I have not had the privilege of reading that one book that you were speaking about. Of course, I know of it, I just haven't had the chance to read it yet, um, but the ones by Gallagher are superb. And so I've had a chance to read those, and they're they're very well written, and they're um, they're great. They're great for teaching you how to discern spirits as well as lose the hours. Okay, second tip. Now, Father Blake and I might differ here a little bit because technology is coming into play. Uh, but <laughs> um, when you're first starting out with the liturgy of the hours, and I'm speaking from experience here, the books can be really complicated to get a handle on. So I mentioned before, here's my book. So you see, there's one, two, three, four, five ribbons. Um, usually. Almost every time you pray the liturgy that was, you're flipping through the book at least once, twice. On feast days, you could be flipping three, four, five times. It can be awfully hard to figure out which prayers and which psalms and which antiphons and all that stuff to pray. And so what I found when I was first starting out is a much easier way in is to use a breviary app on your phone. There's a bunch of them. The one I use is called iBreviary. Um, you got to be a little careful because some of the apps don't use like the official approved translations of the prayers and of the Bible. But iBreviary has the same exact content that's in the officially approved book. So I recommend that one. The best part of it is you open it up, you tap morning prayer or evening prayer, and it's just the stream of the prayer. So you just read it and pray it. There's no ribbons. There's no flipping. It just delivers it all right to you. Um, so I recommend it for the for the ease of it. But also, before you go and invest a decent amount of money in buying the actual print books, remember there's four books in this set. They're, they're kind of expensive. I think like 100 bucks, 150 bucks. Before you do that, maybe start out with the phone, get used to it, make sure you're committed to praying it, and then you can kind of graduate to the books. I'm curious to hear, Father Blake, if you, you usually don't like mixing prayer and technology, so I'm curious to hear what you'd say. <laughs> well, this most certainly is part of a much larger philosophical <laughs> discussion and, and disagreement. Uh, you know, of course, I, I, I sympathize with that, do things in progression. So I'm when it comes to sacred text and prayers, I am a huge um, believer that having a specified book is really important. And again, there are deeper philosophical reasons for that between the logos, what's the logic, what's the the telos, the proper end of this particular reality. Well, for an iPhone, it's it could be 
multiplicitous. You know, you yeah. mean many, many things. But for a book, it's it's just prayer. That philosophical thing to the side. <laughs> and it's an important one. We'll, we'll talk about that later. Yes, we can debate on that later and sort of technology and its role. And, and But uh, ironically, as we do this through, course, you know, we do this, this podcast through technology. But, um, but all joking aside, absolutely. I mean, I do this also with laity who are asking me how to pray Liturgy of the Hours. Um, I let them know, please start with the phone. So I always give them the iBrievery app first. And I ask them, you know, go through, get used to the rhythm of it, get devoted to it on a regular basis. And then from there, we can talk about buying the book. And for buying the books, you can do the four-volume set, or uh, you can also do something called Christian Prayer, which is an abridged version of the four-volume set. So let's say that maybe you're not feeling called to do all five hours a day, like some of us feel called to, or like priests are bound to, but you do feel called to do just morning prayer and evening prayer. Well, Christian Prayer has just morning prayer and evening prayer. Um, and it has it for all the four volumes. So you could just buy that, and it's a single volume set. So there are multiple options for you for integrating according to where you're feeling called by the Spirit. Um, there are multiple ways that you can integrate this prayer of the church into your daily life. I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but doesn't the Magnificat publication contain some sort of abridged version of morning and evening prayer? It does. It's it's uh, Magnificat's fantastic. It's magnificent. I wouldn't, I wouldn't suggest it for regular Liturgy of the Hours because it's a very abridged version. Um, so I would definitely suggest go ahead and investing. Once you get used to the iPhone and doing the, well, iPhone or Android, it's available on both. But once you get used to iBrievery, then to just go ahead and get a Christian prayer or four-volume set. Um, so I wouldn't depend too heavily on Magnificat for those things. Okay, so those are the first two recommendations. First, get, just buy a good book that gives you a little more information on what to do, how to do it. Second, maybe download the app, or you can even find it online. Mm -hmm. iBrievery has a website, which you can go on for free and find the prayers there. But then third, this was obviously helpful to me, is find someone to guide you through it. Mm -hmm. So for me, that was Father Blake, who, when we met, had been praying it for several years. For you, it might be a local priest. Um, unfortunately, topic for another day, not all priests pray the Liturgy of the Hours regularly, which is, is sad. But if you have a priest that, you know, you're pretty confident, does pray them, ask him if he could take a few minutes and, and help walk you through it. Or maybe there's mm -hmm. a local seminarian. Most seminarians now, thank God, are, are required, mm -hmm. correct me if I'm wrong, to pray it as yes. a part of their seminary yeah. as preparation for when they become priests and are bound to pray it. So find a priest, find a seminarian. If you strike out in both of those areas— you can go onto YouTube. YouTube has, I, I did a little bit of research, a number of good videos on how to pray the Liturgy of the Hours. The best ones are anywhere from like half an hour to an hour. That's about the, the set amount of time you should probably prepare for to really understand how to pray each of the hours. But maybe set aside half an hour, 60 minutes, and find a good YouTube video and and walk through it. Um, I'm curious, I, I haven't asked you, did how did, did somebody walk you through it or did you just start learning it on your own? How'd that come about? <laughs> It was a school of hard knocks, Brandon. <laughs> I mean, dude, I, uh, you know, I was in seminary and they just sort of threw me into it. Now we, we had to pray it every single day in common. So I just sort of toughed my way through it and learned eventually through habit because we did it day in and day out, seven days a week. I learned how to put all the ribbons and stuff. So it is, it would have been absolutely wonderful <laughs> to have someone walk with me and teach me the way that I sort of showed you how to do it. Um, but so for me, I did not have that, that luxury. I just, again, I was thrown to the wolves, so to speak, uh, thrown into the, into the fire and had to learn it. And maybe that's why it's so ingrained in my heart. But um, I would encourage that. The other thing is too, that I would say to our lay brothers and sisters who are listening, if you can't find a priest or a seminarian to pray these with, then most certainly I would encourage that you form small communities to pray them with amongst yourselves. So even if you just find one, one other layman or woman that you can sit down and pray this with, if you, if you could find two or three people, Brandon, I think that at your parish, you do something like that with a group of men, do you not? Yeah, we do now. Every Wednesday night, we get together for evening prayer, and then we're trying to scatter it around. I've noticed a lot of Catholics at various parishes, anytime there's a parish event, like you said, a mission or like maybe a talk or something like that, let's add on one of the, the hours and pray it together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think that's a good a good thing that we could sort of do even impromptu on an irregular basis to just get together and start praying these. But the main thing is just to start praying them. And again, there there will be outstanding spiritual benefits to praying the Liturgy of the Hours. 
All right, and then one more tip here. This is a good one that Father Blake gave me is recognize that some of the hours are more important than others. Some of the hours are longer or shorter than others, and, and some are easier or harder than others. So uh, take note of that and then use that information as you sort of break your way into it. So for example, night prayer is typically the shortest and the easiest. So night prayer, um, which my wife and I, we pray right before we go to bed. It's the last thing we do. It takes maybe five to 10 minutes tops. And mm -hmm. the great part about it is in the breviary book, and this will be true in the printed form and the app online, it's the same cycle of seven prayers, one for each day of the week that just repeats. So every Monday you're doing the same prayer. Every Tuesday you're doing the same prayer. So you're going through the same cycle. There's no flipping no ribbons. Mm -hmm. It's just on a couple of pages of text. You just read it straight through and pray it together. So if you want to just get started like today, start praying night prayer. Take five to yeah. 10 minutes a night and do that. From there, Father Blake, you, you've told me that the two you recommend after that, which are kind of the main pillars of the whole thing, are morning prayer and evening prayer. Is that right? Right. Correct. Correct. So, yes. Yeah, so morning prayer and evening prayer are what we call the hinge hours, if you will. So these are the two really important hours of the breviary. So you have lauds, which is this morning adoration of Christ, um, this morning prayer, and then you have vespers. So vespers is the evening. Um, but by, by the way, really fascinating sort of little of side note, you know, how you say bat, like the animal bat in Latin is vespertilione. That means little lion of the night. You know, little line of the evening, this vesper. So that's where we get our word vesper from. Um, but yeah, so the morning prayer and vespers is would be the two hinge hours. So from night prayer, I would definitely suggest to graduate, if you will, up to those two hinge hours. All right. Well, I think we'll probably put a bow on it there. We've given you guys a lot of information about why and how to pray the liturgy, the hours. But I can't emphasize enough as a as a layperson how much this has transformed my spiritual life and all the spiritual benefits and fruit that have flowed from it. We could do a whole nother episode of, of story after story about ways it's, it's shaped my own life. And I'm, Blake, I'm, I'm sure I know that that's true for the last decade of your own life, isn't it? Oh yeah, absolutely. Beyond a shadow of a doubt. So maybe uh, let's close with this question that I'll ask you, Father Blake. Someone comes mm -hmm. to you, never heard of liturgy hours, and they just mm -hmm. want maybe a couple sentence answer. Why should I start praying the liturgy of the hours? Yeah to plug into the prayer and life of Mother Church more deeply. And that's a very, that's sort of a one sentence answer. This is the way, this is the premier way outside of Holy Mass that we can share actively and participate actively in the life of Mother Church, adoring with and through and in Christ. So that would be my number one suggestion for them. Excellent. Well, thanks all of you for watching this episode of the Burrowshire podcast. I want to mention again, we'll have links to all the books and resources and videos that we've mentioned below this episode. And then also you'll find a comment box below it. So any follow-up questions you have, any guidance you need on how to dive in and get started, any challenges you face along the way, we'd, we'd love to chat with you. So uh, be sure to visit burrowshirepodcast.com. That's the website where you'll find this episode and all past episodes. And we'll see you for the next episode here on the Burrowshire podcast. Thanks for watching. Absolutely. See you later.